We're going to start today with Devdat Yulerkar, General Partner of CRV, Charles River Ventures. Devdat, welcome. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Salmano. So, um, Devdat, I think um, the first thing I'd like to do is introduce our audience to yourself as well as to CRV's current activities, philosophies, investment thesis, and so forth. So let's start there. Um, sure. Tell us a bit about your background and then also introduce CRV to the audience. Sure, sure. So I'm um, still uh, masquerading as a venture capitalist. I'm only nine years into this gig. Um, you know, I was, um, I came to this um, after a two-year uh, sannyasa in uh, India. I didn't uh, do much work. Uh, I'd, I think I'd done three back-to-back -back startups, and all of them uh, were quite successful. Um, my in just just before the two-year hiatus, I spent uh, um, eight years building a company called Yantra, which was the first e-commerce platform that eventually got acquired by AT&T, and then. Um, and then IBM, and today is IBM's uh, commerce platform. Um, we had 700 employees, um, half of them in the U.S. and half of them in India. Um, pure uh, tech, pro one of the first tech product companies out of India, going back, uh, eventually got acquired in 2004. Um, prior to that, I was one of the first employees at an uh, Indian company called Infosys, which I'm sure you guys have heard of. Um, I ran... I joined them in a very, very small in a hacker house in Bangalore, and um, uh, we grew from there and built and ran uh, worldwide sales and marketing. Uh, took the, the company went public in 1992 in India, and today is one of the most iconic companies out of India. And uh, prior to that, I was just a gopher out of school. I worked for a startup uh, CEO called Peter Baptista, who was, who was starting an automotive uh, braking company. And uh, we had a wonderful run. Um, we started doing something and then eventually ended up doing something completely different and the company went public and got, today is part of uh, the German automotive giant Bosch, the very, very successful uh, automotive braking company. So I had three uh, long runs, um, you know, and, and um, you know, I, I realized that it was about uh, perseverance and hard work and, I needed a break, and you know, I took two years off. And then the guy that uh, CRV decided to What did you do when up, you took uh, when you took two years off? What did you do? I did nothing. <laughs> what does not doing nothing mean? You know, I spent time with my mother in India. Um, I spent time with my wife and child here in the U.S. And uh, I was, you know, um, I was kind of a a couple of the board members um, from from my company had invited me to kind of spend time with them, so I became kind of a venture partner with a firm called Roe and uh, with Morgan Stanley, so I spent time with them. Uh, just spending time That's on Monday. That's not really doing nothing. <laughs> After doing three uh, kind of, uh, you know, those businesses were marathons, you know, so kind of. I know, I know, like absolutely. Yeah, intense. So, I, so, um, I, so in 2009, you know, CRV, 2008 actually, CRV decided to um, um, call me and said, hey, don't, uh, why don't you spend some time with us? I joined them as a venture partner for a year. 
um, started spending more time with them and figured out whether I wanted to kind of get in work with um, work with younger startups. Uh, as you know, CRV is an early stage platform, and you know, one of the first investments I made was <clears throat> in a company called Zendesk, which uh, is you know was very is very successful. Uh, we did our IPO in 2004, uh, 2014. Today has a market cap of six billion dollars. So I kind of got the bug. <laughs> so I'm I'm still a venture. I'm a general partner at CRV. CRV is a fantastic uh, early stage platform. It is I think one of the oldest platforms, uh, early stage platforms in the in the country. Um, we are investing out of our 17th fund right now. Um, and, and people on the phone may not understand the significance of that word, uh, of that number, but. There are very few venture firms in the world. Uh, maybe, maybe we may be the only one uh, with 17 consecutive funds, and that typically um, is is rare because um, you know venture capital is just about um, you know a band of uh, people getting together and, uh, and 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 doing work together, and it's very difficult to do transitions. And you know, as you move from one generation to the next generation to the next, it's very difficult to do that. Um, CRB, um, you know, has built a phenomenal culture uh, of and a phenomenal track record of uh, investing in early stage uh, technology companies, and uh, they bring in people from um, you know from the industry, um, and um, you know, we we all become partners, and then. Over a period of time, you know, we have this ability to kind of regenerate, rejuvenate, and um, we are, it's, it's a, uh, we have had kind of a tremendous success over the past 40, 48 years now. It's, it's, uh, so I've, it's a I've quiet known firm. George Zachary for a long time, and uh, when I started One Million by One Million, he was one of the people who wanted to invest in One Million by One Million. So I've, I've had interactions with CRV for many, many, many years. What is the current fund size, Devdutt? Uh, we are uh, the Charles uh, 17 is a $600 million fund. And what check sizes are you writing these days? Our focus hasn't changed. Um, we still do early stage, primarily an early stage investor. Uh, we do seed, series A, mostly. Um, you know the check sizes these days have gone anywhere from a million and a half for the seed to maybe um, seven to eight million dollars Series A. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's the range in which um, I think these um, projects are coming in. Uh, sometimes we do do Series Bs, and those Series B checks are ten to fifteen million dollars. And off late, you know, we have started writing a few. They're um, very very selective. Uh, growth uh, investments, and so we have done one or two of them so far, and those those are you know 20, 25 million uh, range. That, that's that's typically the range. Seed is million and a half to two. Um, series A is uh, seven to ten, and then Series B are kind of ten to fifteen. So that's, um, uh, that's I know you do both. So, go on, please. No, please go ahead. Um, I know you do both B2B and B2C. Can you double-click down a little bit and talk about 
how do you define seeds and how do you define series A in terms of metrics? Let's say, you know, today I'm sure you're doing a lot of B2B SaaS. What is the what is the seed metric that you're comfortable with in B2B SaaS and what is a series A metric? You know, we don't look, uh, well, there are, you know, there are enough blogs out there to talk about what the metrics are. We don't pay attention to that stuff. Uh, our focus is entirely based on the quality of the entrepreneur. You know, we focus on, um, we have found that to be the single most important variable uh, in the success or the outcome of the company. So we, we, we uh, you know, as, as CRV or 48 years, we have made over 450, 500 investments. We have got 70, as an early stage company, 75 plus IPOs. And if you analyze that, um, you know, the, the, the common success factor is the quality of the entrepreneur. Because markets come and go, technologies come and go. So we kind of over-rotate on the quality of the entrepreneur. And then the price kind of gets settled by the market. You know, you can't control the price. Price is always settled by the uh, on the market, and um, you know the uh, the quality, uh, the the amount of raise that the entrepreneur is doing just depends on which what they're looking to do with that money. So typically, in the seed stage, you know they are uh, entrepreneurs are looking to get to a particular milestone, whether they're trying to build a product or they're trying to they've already built a product and they were trying they're trying to get some distribution. Um, if you if you talk to kind of uh, um, SaaS companies, if, if you take just that small vertical, um, typically, you know, with, with the cloud and with uh, new technologies that are coming out, you can build product pretty easily. Um, building is not as difficult. Uh, so uh, what we are noticing now, and, and we are seeing this across the globe, actually, our, you know, we are seeing uh, entrepreneurs come here from across the, across the globe. Um, they have raised... Um, Fifty hundred thousand dollars before, or with an accelerator, they've, they've spent time with some accelerator for hundred, you know, and spent uh, raised maybe two hundred fifty thousand dollars, built some kind of a product, have some customers, and they're trying to understand, you know, can can this thing scale? Can this thing get to a some form of uh, size? Yeah, and um, that's when they come in and to raise either they they raise a little bit of capital from us. Or they, you know, they go to a more in, you know, some angels. So they, you know, that that range is typically entrepreneurs try to raise a million and a half to two, and that and that is primarily to test distribution. And you know, they're trying to figure out whether they can actually get distribution. Yeah. So you know, the the issue that a lot of entrepreneurs in SaaS are facing right now is that there is a almost, you know. The bulk of the investors are looking for a one million ARR before they're willing to write checks. So it's interesting to see your perspective on how you are looking at B2B SaaS. Let's talk about I B2C. Think, um, blog, blogs yeah. are, you know, I think you have to be careful on reading blogs. Um, you, know, the, you know, people do write a lot. There's a lot of material on Quora. There's a lot of material on blogs and. There are some of these metrics that go down. So I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs come in saying, hey, we've got to a million, and therefore we are ready. And that is a good milestone, but that's not the only milestone. You know, you have to kind of, I would encourage people to look for um, some kind of velocity in the business. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. It depends not, on how long it has taken you to get to one million. And also what speed at which it is growing. You know, it's it may yeah. take you ten years to get to a million, but you know, if the revenue started two year, two months ago and you know okay. it started it, you you kind of got to some kind of you've understood some distribution mechanics. I think then the the question is, you know, how big could this get? Are those channels channels scalable? Uh, is there enough of a need? Is this strategic enough? Um, what is it that they know that nobody else knows? You know, those kinds of questions get asked. I, I think typically we look for entrepreneurs with some kind of a secret. You know, what do they know that not many other people know? Because if they know something that other people don't know, if they're slightly ahead of the game or if they're slightly, if they're thinking is slightly different, that actually is very attractive. Mm -hmm. Rather than some Contrary obscure thinking number. is what builds the defensibility. Absolutely. But uh, to just to kind of counter your point about uh, what people are writing about, we've had you know we have a podcast and these roundtables. We've had hundreds of investors come and discuss their investment thesis the same way you are doing, and uh, it's actually interesting that some are willing to take the velocity risk as long as there is some validation and they're willing to work with the entrepreneurs to figure out the velocity. Some want all of that already proven. So I was just testing where your comfort zone is. Like if you, if everything is proven and you, you're looking to just, you know, put in money into a proven I investment think, thesis, that's a different I think in kind fact, of in fact, In SaaS, you know, uh, it doesn't require a lot of capital to get there. That's that. Uh, you know, I was talking specifically right. about SaaS, the and that's yeah, in a horizontal kind of a SaaS part. Now, when you go, SaaS is such a huge category. You know, like everything is dumped into that. Unfortunately, that 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 four-letter acronym. Um, you know, you we are, we have SaaS companies that are building very complex products and are selling. The uh, selling uh, the average kind of customer size is three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. Obviously, yeah. you're not going to get velocity there, you know. So there is enough of technology risk that we are willing to take for those kinds of companies. Um, mm -hmm. I recently I invested in a company that required ten million dollars before in just in the seed round. Because it was such monumental technology risk, um, and we are willing to take that depending on the quality of the entrepreneur. You know, they didn't even have a product. Would you take that risk on a first-time entrepreneur? Yes, they are first-time entrepreneurs. Okay, great. That's that's very good to know because again, that's another hurdle that first-time entrepreneurs face is that. All the VCs want to invest their fast startup capital on repeat entrepreneurs, and they don't want to work with first-time yeah. entrepreneurs. It, it, it is always easier to um, to kind of invest in people who have gone through the MBA program. Sure. Right. Doing a startup is like doing an MBA. You know? So if you've done an it's MBA, much more than doing an of, MBA. Yeah, it's MBA better than you can do spreadsheet jockeying to the to the the galore, but being a startup. Um, operator requires real metal. Real, uh, right, that's exactly right. You kind of, uh, I, you know, having haven't been done that a few times. It is, uh, and I'm not the being done. I've not done an MBA for the same reason. I think, um, you know, I think it's a, 
uh, running a business <laughs> teaches you a lot. Yeah. So um, let's talk a bit about the kinds of stuff that you've invested in and, and give us a little bit of a view into how you thought about it. I mean, you started by talking about Zendesk is a company that we know very well. We cover it regularly and also, you know, when uh, our, one of our biggest success uh, that came out of the program is one of Zendesk's top uh, competitor, Freshdesk. Uh, that company came into our program back in 2011. April, so they had just started, and 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 then you know they were in the program for three years. So we we got to know that space very well. It was also kind of the beginning of SaaS companies out of India, but Zendesk is not out of India. It's an European roots company, right? How did yeah, you encounter they, them, and at what stage? <laughs> that's a great story. Um, they were, um, you know. The story, uh, story is in 2009, uh, late 2008, 2009. Um, we were looking at that space. You know, one of our, one of my partners at CRV, um, Izhar, was looking at a company in that, uh, in the space, and he asked me to join him to do some work, and um, we uh, ended up uh, looking at the space. And I, I was spending time, and I, I felt like. You know the the distribution models have inherently changed, and well, and this is 2008. I felt that you know people in their 30s who were in their 30s then had grown up on the internet. They had grown up buying their stuff on Amazon, had gone up grown up on auctions and eBay. Were comfortable with email, and were pretty comfortable with technology. So they were able to kind of search for and buy technology without having to deal with IT. And that in 2008, 2009 was quite revolutionary. And I came across, while doing that work, I came across this company in Copenhagen. And um, I just found, at that time, Twitter had just launched. And as you know, we are the, one of the, the, the first investor in Twitter. And um, Twitter search had just launched. And I went and searched on Twitter for sentiment around Zendesk. And all I found was just pure love. You know, like mm -hmm. everybody was, everybody was saying very positive things about it. Um, that is a rudimentary research. So I went on Google, searched uh, for the founder of Zendesk, and I came across his number. And the poor guy had left his number behind on um, on some conference that he had gone to. I cold called into him. He was it. It was, I think, um, middle of the not middle of the night, but pretty late in the night in Copenhagen. And I called him and I said, hey, listen, um, uh, I'm, a, I'm from CRV and I found you on, on the net and I find you pretty interesting. Can I come to see you tomorrow? And, um, you know, I just found so much love and passion for the product um, that I felt like I should go there. And in the meantime, I asked a couple of my friends to start using the product and it was so easy to use that I felt like I should go meet them. So I flew down the next day um, and I went up there, went up to their loft. Um, the, the three founders were there and we had a, we spent the whole day talking about life and, and business. And uh, Miko and Alex and Morton were, um, you know, they were unique people in, Mikkel had um, built uh, and implemented uh, support systems before, and I found that he had 
very clear sense about what uh, what you need. In his his philosophy was 80% of the people need only 20% of the functionality, and I just want to design that 20% of the functionality as well as anybody else. Morton was very early to the cloud, and he said, rather than hosting this somewhere else, I'm just going to host it on the cloud uh, and using Ruby. And Alex was a designer. And for the first time, I found in enterprise software, now this is going back to 2008, 2009, that a designer, you know, a, a kind mm -hmm. of a visual designer was part of the founding team. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've not seen it in enterprise companies. I've seen them in consumer companies before. Sure. But this was radical. It was a radical shift. And I just felt like these guys were onto something special. And um, they had already raised like half a million dollars and they were trying to kind of make do. Um, I also, um, I caught them at maybe the right time. This was, you know, the world had kind of melted by then. The financial crisis had hit and most of the venture capitalists had run away from venture capital. And I was naive and stupid enough not to understand the significance of that. Uh, so I said, great, you know, I, I like those three and I should invest. And when everybody else was not investing, I was investing. So I just I think I just got, because I was naive and stupid. And, uh, you know, I, I put some money behind them. And what, uh, how much were they doing at this point? They, they obviously they had so much love from customers. That's how you discovered them. How, they had revenues. And this is something that I like about mm -hmm. European companies. European companies are more fundamentals oriented. Yes, yes. They were doing, I think, $30,000 a month, so $300,000, $350,000 ARR maybe. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, it was just the the love for the product was amazing. It was mm -hmm. just amazing because, you know, the you know, simple device, it was like um, Slack, you know. it's uh, you know, People were just down, uh, signing yeah, up and using it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And that was very, oh. uh, that was, I think that was the way I found them. Yeah. Um, what are other highlights in your portfolio that illustrate other ways that you um, think about businesses? This is very helpful, by the way, and, and in understanding you as a person and how you like to approach investment. So anything, any other case study, so to speak? You know, there was um, recently, uh, you know, you, have you heard of Amy Chang? Sure. Amy. Amy was uh, is now um, a senior executive at Cisco, um, but prior to that, she was a senior executive at uh, Google, and she was one of the first, you know, one of the early early Googlers. And she built and ran Google Analytics, and she's yeah. a legend, a legend in the in the industry. And yeah. she was um, thinking of doing something new, so she had left Google, and she was advisor to to a few companies and. She was, doing, she was thinking of doing something new, and um, her CTO, Matthias Rule, who kind of is one of the key guys at Google, well, they were thinking of kind of doing something, but it was, she had a two-slide deck. You know, I think, uh, I think the first slide said, you know, your Dunbar number is 150, and I want to solve for that. That was the second slide. Um, you, know, and, you know, basically her point was that, you don't remember more than 150 people, um, you know, and once and today's networks are more than 150 people. You know a lot of people, and and the more people you know, the more kind of 
better, stronger the ability to kind of, uh, the networking and relationship management is a huge part of um, success of, of people. And she said, look, there's a natural limit to your brain of 150. Some people have slightly more, some people have slightly less. But what if I can augment that and expand your Dunbar number? And, um, you know, because of who she was, it was a hyper-competitive project uh, with the, all the top firms in the industry um, kind of wanting to invest in her. And, um, uh, you know, somehow she got convinced that um, maybe, um, maybe because I have more empathy because I came across, because I was an entrepreneur before and uh, understand the, the, you know, the, the, how tough it is. Um, and she had, that was the first time she was being an entrepreneur. She had been an executive before. So she was taking a plunge and she felt like, I think she felt more comfortable that I'll maybe be a better board member, a better, more empathetic board member. Uh, and that, not that I'll teach her how to run a business. I mean, she can, <laughs> she can teach us in her sleep, but just deal with all the uncertainties of, um, of, of building a business. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we um, came to a handshake agreement on a Saturday and by Tuesday, the money was in her account. <laughs> so it was very, very quick. It was primarily because we, we thought she was, we still think that she is very special and, um, as an entrepreneur, and she was work with solving for a very complicated problem. And, um, you know, it's, it's very rare to see uh, somebody who has this relentless pursuit of opportunity and wanting to chase down something that's very gnarly and complex. And his ability to, uh, you know, we, at CRV, we have something called founder quotient. As I was telling mm -hmm. you earlier in the call, we specifically wait, for, we look for uh, we over-rotate on quality of entrepreneur. And one of my partners, Sargur, has written, I think, a great uh, post on this called Founder Quotient. So we look for, you know, is the person able to recruit people? Is the person able to inspire people? Is the per uh, person able to raise capital? Is the person, does the person have a unique insight, a secret that nobody else knows? Um, so there are multiple attributes that we look at, and we sum it all up into something called Founder Quotient. And Amy's founder quotient was off the charts, off the charts. So we, so uh, she then she, now. you know, yeah. What happened? She did, she left uh, to do, go to Cisco? No, no, she built the company and the company just got acquired by Cisco. Oh, I see. Okay, got it. It All was right. a very, very so, successful, very short period of time. It was a massive exit to Cisco. She, she has, she's very successfully um, you know, she's now, and now she is now part of uh, Chuck's, uh, Robin's executive team. And what is the name of the company? It's called A Company. It's like ACC, A Company. A Company, okay. Now, um, tell us a little bit about what you see today in terms of trends that interest you where you think that they're going to be large companies. And, and of course, you know, when I ask this question to uh, investors, the word that comes back inevitably is AI. But I want something more sophisticated, a more 
um, you know, a deeper analysis from you. I, uh, how much time, more time do we have? I know you uh, I have a hard stop, so I know you have a bunch of you other have things to do on your nine, call. Right? Yeah. You have a hard stop at nine. So let's spend, spend five minutes on this and then we'll switch to the entrepreneur pitches. Okay. Uh, repeat your question. Question is, you know, there's a lot going on right now in the industry and, and venture capital is at a, it's a very mature market. It's a very well understood business model. Uh, lots of players. The micro VC phenomenon has completely ballooned. The late stage capital has ballooned, you know, with SoftBank going completely wild with capital into the late stage. So given that setup and given all the things that are happening in technology, AI and so forth, how do you analyze your business, venture business, and where are the, the significant success stories going to come from, in your opinion, in your analysis? Well, I think the reason, there are two reasons why I think um, venture capital, the industry has got so much capital coming in. One is I think that's where the growth is. You know, I think um, everything now is software related, every industry is software related. So mm -hmm. the industry itself has become, uh, the technology industry has become kind of very pervasive. You know, it's very, yeah. very, uh, you know, whether it's autonomous cars or drones or healthcare or you know, every, every, everything has technology in it, and therefore entrepreneurs who have some kind of a critical insight into that industry can now apply venture capital uh, dollars against that industry. So I think that is what is exciting. And that is, because of that, I think the opportunity for venture capital, both for entrepreneurs and for venture capitalists, uh, is much, much bigger than we have ever seen it before. Now, um, the cloud, has the cloud and the web have dramatically dis, kind of uh, reduced or altered um, early stage economics. You know, in my day when we had to kind of build something, we had to build a data center, build a, you know, build an engineering team, and do all that stuff. And it, was, it took a lot of capital. I remember when, by the time I got to scale, I'd already raised twenty-five million dollars in ninety in the nineties. And um, you don't need that stuff anymore. You know, you can now, two people sitting in Vietnam can write a beautiful application uh, using uh, Google or Amazon AWS uh, because the frameworks are built out where you don't need to do all that stuff anymore. You don't have to write your own application server like we did. <laughs> Everything is open source is available. You can write, write quick, quick applications and um, you can do it from anywhere in the world. And, and so you have access to technology and access to frameworks and access to compute that didn't exist before. So the cost of capital, the cost, the, uh, that's why early stage, which is seed stage, that's why there's, there's so many micro VCs because in SaaS, typically you don't have that kind of, you don't have that, uh, the barrier to kind of building companies has dropped. And because of which, there is a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is that you have um, hundreds of micro VC funds, so there's more capital available, more choices available across the globe. But there are thousands of entrepreneurs with the same ideas. So, you know, it's very, uh, you know, I, I always joke that uh, when a company comes out of YC, there are five other companies starting all over the world that do exactly the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. And and that's okay. You know, that's competition. It's like um, nobody is uh, nobody saying you have to be only original. Um, 
and may the best entrepreneur win. So I think that is a phenomenon because of which you have a, a, a extreme amount of startup activity. And, uh, uh, and, and then uh, at the later stage, you know, you have guys like uh, bigger funds and the larger funds have the ability to sit back and watch for who's going to win and then deploy that capital. So I think, I think it's all good for the entrepreneur. I, and the way I look at it is it, it's never been a better time to build companies and the ability uh, and to take risks because A, you have to, you can get less, less diluted in the early phases. Unlike me, you know, we had so much dilution in the early phases by the time the company got somewhere, you know, it was like not much money left for the entrepreneur. But now you can kind of capture that. But the, the gauntlet that you have to go through is distribution. You know, making yourself different, making yourself unique, making yourself grow fast. If you can well, get there. It's become very noisy. Um, the web has become very noisy. So to get noticed for whatever it is that you're doing is, is a tough exercise, and you really have to Look, understand when, how to. Even in, the, in, in 2008, 2009, when Zendesk was starting up, there were, I think when we did our analysis, there were 25, 30 companies all over the world doing the same thing. It's right. like, why did Zendesk get through the gauntlet, you know? They, were, they had a secret. They, had, they were unique. They understood that the 80% of the people just needed 20% of the functionality. And that, I think, is the unique understanding. And then uh, understanding that email is a great way to build workflow. You don't need to kind of build your own workflow. So they, they had some many secrets Inside. Because of which they designed insights, because of which they designed the product the way they designed it, and the rest is history. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we could go 